Hello and welcome to the Geek Sweat Podcast, the series for news reviews and film interviews where we watch films to save you hassle. We've also got several podcast segments which include Review Sweat, Dom's Docs, the MKH Cup, Terra Terra, Cult Film, Cult TV and much more besides. This segment you're listening to today is Hot Topic, where I'm your host TJ and I'm being joined by our Geek Sweat co-host, King Dom. Hey TJ, good to be here. King Dom, we are going transatlantic with this hot topic today because we've got a big thing to talk about that's going on in the film industry, but also big news is we're welcoming a new podcaster from across the shores. Guess which country we're going to be going to for our guest expert today. Well, from the sounds of that intro, we're taking another trip to the USA. Okay, so... Uh, for all of you Geek Sweat followers and loyal listeners, we have brought you a fine podcaster from across the shores in the country of Alaska, no less, which is part of the United States. And we are welcoming on today, Gary from the Movies with Firearms podcast. So Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's fun to, uh, be talking to a different time zone with this technology you know so yeah i mean to be specific we are at 5 30 p.m uk london time what time is it over there right now it's 8 30 so i just kind of woke up and still drinking my coffee so okay. wow. you guys can tell me what us. happens later today since you're you know so far ahead i mean time yeah machine. we'll give you the lottery numbers for tonight yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is the magic of time and space across podcasts so we are podcast traveling for you and we want to find out a little bit more about your podcast, Gary, because you look at movies in a slightly different angle to us because we normally look at what do filmmakers want to know about in films, maybe from the interviews and what do film enthusiasts want to know about what's recommended to watch. Can you tell us a little bit more about your perspective of your podcast with movies? Podcast with movies. Yeah. So I run the internet movie firearms podcast and uh, my shtick is I do three separate acts. So the first act I talk about the movie and trivia and kind of the fun factoids um, act two. I talk about what guns they use in the movie, how they use them, what they kind of get wrong. Mm -hmm. um because hollywood definitely does a lot of stuff wrong and then act three is kind of where i talk about what i would use if i were in the movie as an action hero or something sure sure um obviously looking at it through the lens of entertainment more so than art necessarily um i'd like to think movies can kind of be like a roller coaster ride and i want to talk about the amusement park attraction of it so not necessarily academic or scholarly but more of uh a good time okay, so you are literally the guy who's trying to bring back the fun into guns as well because i mean it's essentially it's a device that people responsible people are supposed to own but also there is a learning that goes alongside it as well is that right yeah um you know there's the adage that the guns aren't toys um i sometimes joke a little bit that they're adult responsible toys if you know what you're doing because they can be fun um and i think you know being from america and i know how the world views us sometimes with our guns but it's uh it's it's a hobby it's a sport it's a tool at the same time but there is definitely a certain responsibility that comes with it Gary, I need you to keep your firearm holstered by your hip as I'm going to shoot across the title of today's hot topic. 
So what we're going with, cowboys and cowgirls, is do 21st century films need live ammunition and guns on film sets? So it's a very complex question and it's a very deep question and it's a question that's probably been asked over time because there's the guns of Navarone, there's John Wayne films, there's Clint Eastwood films, Americans knows for the Western, French thrillers have happened. Guns have kind of been in the psyche and the public eye of feature films, even on film posters to some extent. And I think even recently we did a review of something called Prisoners of a Ghostland, where we were talking about a Nicolas Cage film where the first five minutes of the film is him robbing a bank with a pump action shotgun and two Magnum 45s. So what do you, what image comes to mind, Dom, when you think of guns in film? Wow, that's a really good question. I think for me, um, there is one genre where I expect guns more than any other genre, contemporary genre, and that's the zombie film. Okay. Because the way to take down a zombie is with a headshot. Everyone knows that. So if there's a zombie movie going into it, you're expecting a lot of gunplay, a lot of gun action, Mm. and that might be from a ragtag band of survivors who'll have access to maybe very insufficient weaponry, but will have to do their best. Or there might be some military band who are taking down the zombies. But that's one genre where I expect a lot of very choreographed gunplay. Mm. And Gary, yourself, when when somebody says to you guns on film, is there one particular movie or maybe even one movie star that comes to mind for you? Kind of growing up in the 90s, but always feeling like I was a couple generations late. You know, the 80s action flicks, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rambo Terminator, you know, the absurdity that was the action movies, uh, you know, the over the top machismo, if you will, um, definitely brings on the the hero status. And that might explain my perspective a little bit, too, of why. It is something that I'm passionate about, but but yeah, so the hero kind of thing. I mean, just to step into your uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone uh, axis, I think there is like a revelation now from like them doing many multiple interviews that they were always trying to outdo each other in films. And it wasn't just the size of the film or the number of kills they could do in a film, but I think it got to a point where it was a type of guns they were carrying. So I think um, Stallone gets to play Rambo holding things like Gatling guns, which are usually floor mounted weapons as he's kind of walking across villages, tearing the place up. But I think the Terminator gets to a point where he's actually holding, um, I think, helicopter-mounted guns in his hand. So you've got the Arnold Schwarzenegger actor carrying what's supposed to be a helicopter-mounted gun and using that as artillery. So do you feel that we maybe the 90s was the peak of like gun size and bravado, as it were? I would, I'd probably say the 80s. And uh, kind of jumping in, just because it's kind of what I talk about a lot, uh, Rambo would have been M60, two different variations. And then Arnold would have been the uh, General Electric Gatling gun, minigun, as they call it. So, yeah, definitely normally crew served or mounted options. But I would say 80s is probably peak absurdity. And then it 
starts getting the realism of the 90s. And then now I think people kind of go for the raw and gritty. But with American filmmaking, I would say kind of the war on terror had a lot to do with that in the 2000s to where you have a lot more emotional war movies as opposed to over the top one man army kind of movies like Rambo and Terminator. Yeah. And just another question before I let Dom come in. Have you always sought to see more authenticity in the characters and the artillery or the arsenal, the firearms that they use? Because it sounds like you've been paying attention to the details and you probably think, well, if Rambo is ex-military or if Steven Seagal is ex-Navy SEAL, these are the type of instruments of warfare that they'd be using. They would know there'd be no chance of him coming into contact with this particular type of weapon. I mean, do you understand it from that detail? Yeah. And I think depending on the movie, I mean, when it comes to firearms, most of the time they are going to be a prop, but props can add to realism and believability. You know, mm-hmm. whenever you have a movie, you want it, especially if you're a filmmaker, you're going to want it to do a level of like immersion for your audience to where it's believable. Yeah. So, you know, if you'd have a Fast and the Furious movie and they have a stock Prius racing against, you know, a V8 charger yeah. it, it, and they win, it's going to be like, that. that's not that real. Um, it's yeah. the same thing. Clothing, if that's wrong, you know, it has to all be part of it to be accurate and believable so that way it's not a distraction mm-hmm. um so at the the basic level if you don't care about firearms they should just not be a distraction in a movie they should just make it believable sure, sure. if you're a nerd like me with it then it's something that you want to have accurate because you know the big gun guy movies right now like john wick oh, okay. if they do something dumb in john wick you know i'd like to think i have my finger on the the pulse of uh of the gun community and they would have a mutiny what about, do you think about oh. the, the the contract sorry dom what do you think about gung fu as they call it. Um, I think it's kind of cool in a way, like using John Wick, for example, because yeah. there's a lot of like knockoff John Wicks now that are getting like, okay. Um, but they were one of the first to really use modern shooting styles. Um, a gung fu or gun fu uh, to, to kind of do the stunts. Um, so they, the first John Wick really started off using a style called center axis relock, which is a, a style of close quarters weapon handling, you know, um, and they kind of modified that and stylized it to make it cool. So it's legitimate in a way more so than 80s shooting from the hip where you're like, you can't even aim that. Why are they, why are they hitting everybody a mile away shooting from the hip? Mm-hmm. So it just makes it more believable and within reason. Obviously, it's stylized to be cool on film, but. Okay, so we're going to move in. We are going to move into the more serious stuff that we're talking about um, mm. pretty soon. Yeah. I guess before we completely move on, I do have one little factoid about the Terminator films since we were just touching on those. Sure. Did you know um, the sound effect of the Terminator? Yeah. Whenever Schwarzenegger fired his shotgun, it was a different sound effect to when anyone else fired a shotgun Why is that? in those movies. Because they wanted his gun to sound especially massive. <laughs> so they made a composite sound effect of several guns. Okay. And they used shotguns for the like the echo, but then they also had some pistols for snap. Oh, okay. So it was a combination of snap and echo, and it sounded twice as big as everyone else's. That's where he had the snap, crackle, and pop, I suppose. Yeah, there you go. What do you think about that sound sound affecting like gun effects on film? You know, it, it is funny that you mentioned that because um, uh, the movie Max Payne with Marky Mark Wahlberg, yeah. um, 
his he used the Taurus Judge revolver, which when it came out was like this cool thing. Now it's kind of a gimmick. It's like a shotgun revolver. Mm-hmm. Um, they used the 60, I think it was a 60 millimeter howitzer sound mm-hmm. for the sound of the gun. Because if you try to record, you know, if I just grab my 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 phone or like a basic camera and go out and record record gunfire, it, it's high pitched. It, it yeah. doesn't have that cool, deep, powerful sound. It's kind of like a firecracker, mm-hmm. you know, via audio. So I think it's pretty important if you want to portray that visceral power you know again especially if we're talking an epic war movie use like saving private ryan that is relatively real and emotional Mm -hmm. you don't want that to be distraction so it is important and i think they will artificially deepen it to give the feeling that they want kind of like hitting you in the chest whenever you you hear it kind of so were you excited when you found out that michael mann got behind a feature film with al pacino and Robert De Niro, 1995, called Heat, and enacted the uh, the high the the robbery heist, which ends up going out on the street. And apparently, there's a lot of is it real sounding firearms or real firearms were being used in that film? You remember? Yeah. So it's been a while since I've talked about Heat, but uh, that is one of the iconic again gun guy movies. Michael Mann is very good about adding the realism in to make it more believable. Sure. Um, Actually, Val Kilmer, one of his reload scenes, I guess they use that that scene in like Navy SEAL training where they're like, this is how you do a, a tactical reload because um, they, they trained so much. He, it was pretty real. But so to ask, is, is there a specific way to reload your gun when you're under fire as opposed to reloading when you're not under fire? Yes and no. So the manual of arms is always going to be generally the same. You want to do it as efficiently as possible. Um, but under fire, a lot of times what people will do is, especially like if you're running a, a, a modern rifle, like, like an AR-15, M16, M4, you don't want it to run dry necessarily because whenever you shoot that last round, the bolt will lock back. And then whenever you reinsert the magazine, you have to send that, that bolt home. Well, if you kind of mentally keep track of, oh, I have a 30 round mag, I'm in a firefight. You know, I think I went through about 20. You can just drop a mag and throw another one in and you don't have to do anything else with it. Okay. Um, so normally that's not for something like sustained firefights where you're really like, oh, no, I'm going to run out of ammo. But, you know, yeah. you know, in the movie, Heat would be, a, be an example yeah. of you got to keep it running. Um, and you, mm. every second. Okay. And before I hand over to Dom again, because I think that was an authentic sounding film i mean i've not got experience but that sounded like an authentic sounded film of firearms on a film set but then there's the authentic use of a firearm in a for a film character who's totally fake which is the james bond character with the wolf uh, i think ppk because the backstory i think of that character uh, using that is that he had a different type of revolver that actually failed on him in a mission and he had to use a smaller gun because it actually discharged the rounds uh, more quickly and more efficiently to help him kill his target. So that's why he finds that more of a, a reliable gun. So is it fairer to say that spies or international spies as it were, would probably use smaller guns and more discreet weapons? Yeah, I think that's accurate. You know, if you have somebody who's going incognito like James Bond, you know, you don't want him, you know, know carrying a dirty harry style 44 mag revolver because you can't hide it as much so i think 
and I think the sleekness of the Walter PPK really does add to the essence that is James Bond too, because he's smooth. His gun's going to be smooth. It, it's, you know, in the, in the Walther, they're, they're pretty decent guns, but it, it's not necessarily like a combat piece that you would want. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it doesn't take away from it. And I think it's, you know, again, it, it adds that allure of sleekness, sexiness that James Bond sure, is. So. Sure. All right. So now, Gary, we're going to get a bit more into the issue that really prompted this episode which is, of course, the tragic accident that happened on the set of the movie Rust last month, uh, where the director of photography was tragically killed in an accident. And I don't want to say too much more about that at this stage because um, I don't want to missay any of the specifics mm. right at the top of the show. But um, we wanted to see if we could understand how that could come about and whether that is a risk on other movie sets. Yeah. So I don't know, Gary, if you could tell us any more about the background to that incident as you understand it and from your perspective as someone who knows a lot more about guns than we do. Would you mind if I just preface it with a little description of what's happened so Gary could come on with his perspective? Sure. I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to have to be an edit, but um, so just to be absolutely clear, we are in the privileged position of being in December 2021. This is an incident that that's now known as the Rust shooting incident on Wikipedia, which took place on the 21st of October 2021 in Bonanza Creek Ranch in uh, Bonanza City, New Mexico, where unfortunately an untimely accident happened where the cinematographer Halina... Hutchins was fatally shot and director Joel Souza was injured on a set of the film Rust, which was being produced in 2021, when a revolver used as a prop discharged a live round while being used by the actor Alec Baldwin. The weapon had not been thoroughly checked for safety in advance. Yeah, and very tragic. Um, There sometimes is a, you know negative stereotype of of gun nuts like me that you know we're bloodthirsty we don't care about the loss of human life or anything like that and that's not the case um and i'd I'd like to kind of preface it saying that when it comes to things like this there's a term in in the gun community they call it accidental discharge whenever you accidentally shoot something off and i don't like that term i like to say negligent discharge Uh because it's you screwed up and it's more than an accident it's negligent and then again going back to what we first talked about there's a responsibility that comes with firearms they are dangerous they're not necessarily toys they're tools Mm. um and they need to be used properly because anything misused you know accidentally or negligently or on purpose can be very tragic as as we've seen with the loss of life in something that should be made to entertain that's what they were doing they were trying to create art and something bad happened um as far as movie sets and firearms um there shouldn't have been live ammunition on that set Mm -hmm. uh somebody messed up and i know in the interviews after the fact um you know alec baldwin i think is a very talented actor i think he's a very funny Mm -hmm. guy but i know like with he's very active in politics so he's a polarizing Mm -hmm. character having said that i know i don't agree with most things on the political spectrum as him but it doesn't mean that just because I disagree that I just want to throw him under the bus. 
However, having said that, he's also using the platform. And I think I said this on one of my podcasts talking about it, like don't all of a sudden go after the gun because you got involved in a very tragic incident. I don't think it was his fault and I'll explain why. Um, But his interviews afterwards where he's like, Oh, I didn't even pull the trigger. I'm like, you're trying to lawyer yourself right now with everything going on. So now the, the water has been much, much more muddy than it was when he, yeah. Cause I get the feeling from what's happened is people want to, because it's the movie industry and the movie world, people want to say, that's the villain. That's the good guy. This is the evil. This is the, this is the goodness. And it doesn't seem to be like that. It seems like there was a chain of, to take another feature film and not ingest a series of unfortunate events, which had taken place leading up to the um, accident, the, the accidental shooting, because we're not going to say accidental discharge. And I want to create a context, help you. I want you to help us create a context on a firing range and on a film set. What are the titles of the people who should be responsible for firearms? So people can kind of get it clear. Like this is what the person responsible for firearms are on the firing range. And that's the person responsible on a film set. Yeah. So as far as on a movie set, there's no rules and laws necessarily that regulate what, who has to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think BBC just did an article about that too, kind of really throwing it out there that there's, there's no law, at least in, in America, there's no law that says if you're making a movie that has guns, mm-hmm. you have to have somebody there. However, having said that most legitimate large um, studios are going to hire prop masters, you know, weapon handlers. I don't think there's really necessarily any official title for them, but there is a job position for that. And normally it's going to be the people that you hire to come in for those props. So a good example. So is, do they use the word armorer in your, in the U S yeah, they do. Um, armor can mean a couple different things. Okay. There's not like an official like armor school. Sure, sure, there sure. are, schools that offer armor courses but it's not as far as i know like a super regulated term where if you say like i'm a dentist then you know you went to dental school past the boards all that stuff um so so yeah the terms that get thrown around like gunsmith uh armorer would be one um master of arms maybe be kind of used normally it's going to be something like prop master It, it would i would assume or um like weapons prop master okay there you go so what do you think could have been done better or differently to prevent the incident from taking place? Well, when it comes to digging about what actually happened, it's very difficult to find reliable information because with the media, a lot of the people who, if they are even a good journalist, they probably don't have a whole bunch of experience with describing this Mm -hmm. stuff. So the nuanced details of it is going to be kind of, wishy-washy because they made something like um oh they had live ammunition on set well live ammunition technically should mean a legitimate real round of ammunition that has a bullet powder casing primer ready to shoot as if you know if i were going to go hunting that's the kind you would want but a live ammunition can also mean a blank because it does have a primer it does have powder it can create an explosion even though it doesn't launch a projectile um so those are two very different things you know both can be dangerous but they're very different things when it comes to description of it. So when it comes to what they should have done, I stating that movies are not real life. Mm-hmm. 
um, making a movie is not necessarily the rules aren't going to be the same for real life. Um, there really shouldn't be live as in fully completed, ready to fire projectile powder casing primer ammunition on a movie set. Exceptions to that would be um, there's a Navy SEAL show where they they do some live fire, but it needs to be in range conditions. That's not something you do in a studio. That's not something you do necessarily on a set. You create a set around an active live range with experts there because actors are not experts. Um, and and I think you know in this using the Alec Baldwin incident, people really blaming him. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to blame him because of a bias. I'm going to say there should have been an expert there because he's an actor and I don't hold him to the standard that you would um, police officer, range safety officer, military member, sports shooter, you know, your general American civilian who wants to carry a firearm. There's a certain level of responsibility. Movie set is not real life. Um, and I think that's, I don't know. I don't want to get too much off into the weeds, but that's pretty much where I kind of stand on that. There shouldn't be live ammunition, but when it comes to blanks, using real guns that are modified for movies i think that's okay as long as there's experts there and they're doing it safely and clearly with this incident they they didn't do that somebody messed up and it sounds like there was some issues with um the armor that they had left and then the um Mm -hmm. an assistant producer got in and decided he was going to be the one to help out and clearly he didn't do that so um really looking at it i think a lot of the big studios should have experts there even for liability purposes because even if there is no laws, you know, criminal laws saying you are banned from doing this on movie sets, there still is civil laws where you can sue people for for things and they need to protect themselves from that. So they should have experts just for at least civil liability purposes too. Sure. I mean, coming back to a little bit, I mean, I don't want to dwell too much specifically on this incident because it's, it's, it was breaking news when it first came out, but I wanted to kind of mention like Alec Baldwin's initial statement, it felt like he was trying to satisfy the Twitterati and the internet hordes for new information, hoarding for new information and, and also slightly protecting his legal position rather than giving any facts in the beginning. Do you think it would have been wiser if he had probably spent more time staying silent until more information had surfaced, maybe from the local police department? I would think so. Um, I know kind of living on the the gun side of Instagram, you know, there was a witch hunt going after him sure. by so many people um, that I, I would assume he probably felt the need to kind of to speak out because yeah. he was being attacked so much. Um, I would have kept quiet because then I know the interview that he did. Yeah, I'm sure his feelings were genuine, but just kind of saying something like, the gun just went off. I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't have my finger on the trigger, you know, whatever he said, it, you can prove that that's not right. You know, um, when it comes to the mechanism of firearms, it's gears, levers, similar to, you know, uh, at least with the guns that they'd have been using, he'd have been using a, a cowboy revolver, very similar to the internal workings of like a clock. You can pull those apart and look at it. You can replicate if something like that happened because there's, with the engineering and the mechanisms of how they're used that this can't happen. So saying something like that, I know it's like, I need to get out in front and kind of put my liability statements out there to say that I'm not responsible. Mm. He may have actually said too much. You know, I, I I think he should have been quiet. And um, I want to ask a positional question and a technical question, if that's all right. 
Um, the position of Alec Baldwin is that he wasn't just the actor playing. Um, in fact, the, the film's called Rust, and he plays the the character with the title name. And ironically, the description as it is on IMDb at the moment. It's a film about a 13-year-old boy left to fend for himself and his younger brother following a parent's death in 1880s Kansas as a, a, who goes on a run with a long-estranged grandfather after he's a sentenced to uh, hang for an accidental killing of a local rancher. So there's a bit of life imitating art there. But do you think Alec Baldwin's role as a producer and an actor has kind of confused the responsibility perhaps that he has ultimately over a film set. Yeah. As a producer, you're going to have more responsibility um, than an actor would. Um, and I think more information is going to come out with who's responsible for what um, as time goes on. So yeah, I wasn't aware of, of the background of the, of the movie, actually that's kind of eerie. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, when it comes to the plot, but, you know, I would say a producer will have more liability than an actor would. Yeah. Um, it, it would be like, if you take the gun out of it, because that's a polarizing subject, if somebody had a prop knife and they were like, you know, on stage at, at a, uh, at a, on a play. And they were like, you need to stab this person with a prop knife. And it was a real knife. You know, we've seen that in TV shows that, that plot line, mm -hmm. um, who's responsible is an actor responsible when somebody hands them a prop and says, this is a prop. Mm -hmm. It's okay to do what we need to do for the scene where the producer, you know, they're the ones who are kind of creating the situation. Sure, so sure. yeah, a producer would have more responsibility, but I think there's going to be a lot of blame. I, I think I saw somewhere that the armorers mm -hmm. attorney kind of already was blaming somebody else. So it's going to be, I mean, finger uh, I'm just going to say one thing about the finger point. And I don't want you to uh, comment on it if you don't need to, but I just want to say it. Um, I think when the information came out that a shooting had taken place, there was a series of bits and pieces of information, which I think has confused the issue, but also there were stories coming out that certain members of the film crew who may or may not have been working and employed originally as assistant directors, second assistant directors and armorers had made some complaints about the lack of safety features and training for the actors when it came to the firearms and that they had chosen to resign in the week leading up to the or days leading up to the shooting incident and instead of the shoot instead of the film production closing down new individuals were employed to replace their roles and there's been speculation that the new people who replaced had not had the significant experience as the previous people who resigned which may have created a window for this accident to happen so is it possible that we can maybe use a different example? Maybe if we go back in time to a film like The Crow, perhaps with uh, Brandon Lee and his unfortunate demise of how a weapon on a film set may be containing a live round, even though it may be referred to some referred to as a blank, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because The Crow is the other super high profile, unfortunate death of somebody with misuse of a firearm on movies. So the, the story with The Crow, um, he was the, the, the actor's character, 
um, was being executed by a 44 Magnum revolver. Now, whenever you have a revolver, you can see into the cylinders uh, on a modern revolver. Um, and actually, I have one. I can kind of show you what happened here. Um, if, if there's a lot of video watchers, I'll do that. Okay, get it on screen. Quick, okay. get it on screen for yeah. us if you can. So, so it's clear when you look at a revolver and somebody's pointing at you. So it's going to point at you, but it's just a camera. Yeah. yeah. You can see right here the cylinders. That's where you could see the tip of a bullet. Sure. So if they're going to have a close up of the gun, they're going to want something in there. Mm. So what they did was they put dummy rounds in those cylinder holes so that way whenever they got a close-up of it it looked like the gun was loaded because if they didn't you'd be like that's sure. an empty gun yeah those dummy rounds um the to my understanding the the people who are handling the firearms didn't want to go buy dummy rounds so they made their own by pulling you know if you have a, a round yeah. they pulled the bullet tip out mm. emptied the powder and put a dummy round in there sure. well you have a primer that's still explosive yeah. so from what i understand either the dummy rounds fell out and lodged in the barrel or they popped the primer and it was just enough force to lodge it in the barrel mm. so then they took the gun emptied those dummy rounds out with that fake wooden round mm. in the barrel put a blank in it and then basically you have like a simulated muzzle loader real round assembled anyway yeah. Yeah. just with a couple extra steps so whenever they use the same gun yeah. yeah one with dummy rounds and then with blanks the combination together launched a projectile and, and yeah. killed brandon lee um, because we heard that it's a legitimate something there's something in the chamber but it was there from a film set use maybe two months or three months before or something yep and um if you watch uh, i believe his name is zin um from iss uh, it's a big prop house. He has his own TV shows and stuff. And he talks about that at length about how they've changed that. And they have a system of like tagging guns for like one purpose only. So you don't have that cross contamination in a way of, of okay. things. So um, I would reference him when it comes to what they kind of do now or should be doing. That's, that's really interesting. And thanks for clearing that up, Gary, because I think a lot of our listeners would be confused as to how a blank could be considered live ammunition. But that makes a lot of sense the way you've explained it. Yeah, and a blank itself, um, you know, it's a, it's a physics problem, uh, but it does have explosive power in it. You know, it does have a primer like a real round of ammunition does. It does have, you know, powder like a real round of ammunition does. It just kind of has a wax seal on it and or a crimped uh, casing instead of a projectile. So it still is using force. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I were kind of reckless and silly and I got a blank and put it in a gun and was like, hey, ho, I'm going to kill myself and put it to my head i'm still launching force at my temple and you theoretically could kill yourself with a blank that close because that force hasn't had a chance to dissipate yet um so even blanks need to be used very responsibly on movie sets um and that's why kind of going back to rust what they should have done and what is available when it comes to close-ups like say you're going to have a movie where you need to have a close-up on an execution they have something called nine guns and they look very similar to a gun but they don't function at all like a gun so you can't mess it up um it it kind of looks like a knockoff like like a, a bootleg yeah. gun yeah. you know um but on screen quickly if you have a good filmmaker who can do the angles right you wouldn't even be able to tell during the movie yeah. so that's one thing they can do um they also rambo was famous for using this with the machine guns they can hook up firearms to or mock firearms to propane mm -hmm. so whenever they're shooting it 
that gas, it's basically like a grill, yeah. you yeah. know, like a, a cooking barbecue grill, right. launching little puffs of propane out to make it look like muzzle flashes and things like okay. that. And you can kind of get a little bit of pneumatic, yeah. you know, operating. Um, and if it sounds like they were doing a close up of in the movie Rust where, you know, he would have been aiming right at a camera in front of yeah. people. They probably should have been using a, a, a non-gun for that. And if not, you know, that's super dangerous. You need to have somebody checking that stuff. I mean, do, do you, sorry to interrupt, but do you think the, the, there will be an outlaw in film industry of uh, point of view gun barrel shots with live guns? So it's like, you can show, for example, a real gun lying on a table and in a case and maybe somebody holding it, pointing it off camera, but it will be outlawed to point real life guns towards a camera lens being manned by a human person. So if he pointed at a tripod, no problem. You can still film like that, but it will be illegal to point guns at um, camera holding crew members. Not sure. Uh, at least with how the United States works, I would bet that if anything happens, it's going to be state by state. Okay. So you may see something like California is going to come out with a law that says you can't have live ammunition. Um, I want to say, not to be crude, they did things with pornography too, to where the porn industry like fled California for, I don't know. Okay. Um, but it, it'd be the same concept where I think you will see people then start doing movies in Arizona. You know, they'll do them in New Mexico, uh, Nevada, because if they want to be able to use things to really portray their art, um, they don't want to be restricted. I think, and I'm, I'm not someone who says, oh, there ought to be a law. You know, I'm all about kind of individual responsibility and freedom. Um, but I think there needs to be something taken to where you need to have experts and it needs to be, if you want to do a movie, then you need to budget a firearms expert there. If you want to use real guns or modified real guns, blank firing guns, non-guns. Um, if you want to use rubber dummies and CGI, then maybe you don't need an expert there. Um, but I, I think they need to budget for that. And I think they need to take that upon themselves. Um, and they probably, most big production houses probably did, again, going back to the liability thing with civil law. Um, when it comes to, I wouldn't be surprised. That, I think they already signed a petition. I wouldn't be surprised if some stuff comes. I think the best thing would be not necessarily banning how to do the movie, but just to say uh, the most realistic and probably most practical regulation would be saying you need to have somebody there who's cleared, certified somehow mm -hmm. uh, um, to be, to be an expert there. You just can't have, you know, the, the guy who also orders the coffee being like, Oh, I'm the assistant producer here. Let me be the firearms guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then that's how we get tragic accidents happening. Sure. So we're going to have to bring this episode to a close because um, we're aware of your time and uh, we thank you for your expertise. So I want a serious question and a fun question. So just to answer our episode, do you think 21st century films, because we, obviously the John Wayne era, Clint Eastwood era has happened. Do you think 21st century films need live ammunition and guns on set? I don't think they need it, but I think it can help. So that's a very much a maybe answer. And I'll use two movies very quickly to, as an explanation. So I know you guys did a podcast on extraction with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Four, yeah. you know, yeah. um, four in a third world country, just wrecking children. Um, <laughs> they, the country that they were filming in did not allow all guns, fake guns, anything. So they had to use rubber guns. If you have enough skill, resources, 
um, and talent, you can make a CGI look really good with fake guns. However, most of the time it looks terrible. Like, you know, in America, the sci-fi channel, um, very low budget, terrible movies where you're like, Ooh, that's terrible. Then looking at Mad Max, I know they didn't use a whole bunch of firearms in that movie as much as they did cars, but the practical effects really added to that movie. So I think if you have the talent and the resources, the skill, the, the, the time you can really make CGI look good. And I would say that if you don't have experts do it that way, you have to have experts. I think if you want to do, you know, modify, I would say modified guns that can shoot blanks and, or operate, you know, but using a real gun with live ammunition should only be in very rare cases where you have something like a shooting range that's converted to a set where you have range safety officers, um, you know, and that's, that would be something that would use very, very, very rarely. Um, and not something that should be for your everyday action move. And the final question, which is a little bit more fun, so you can have a dig at somebody. Um, what is for you is the most authentic, and this could be a film recommendation. Where do you see the most authentic use of firearms in film and name a film or, or, or a character and where's the most negligent, frustrating use of guns? And that could be film or TV again. Oh, I, I, uh, I wish I had time to think about this one. Um, rarely do you see super accurate use of firearms across the board in an entire movie, um, which I understand it's, it's hard to do. There's reasons they make movies the way they do. Um, since you mentioned Heat, I think a lot of Michael Mann and the Heat movies are pretty good. I like John Wick for it's over stylized, but they do different things like the reloading, the clearing of jams, things like that. I should say malfunctions. Yeah. Um, uh, there's some coolness there. Uh, but if you had to have like a realistic, I can't think of a movie right now, but a realistic portrayal of firearms would be a movie where the good guy doesn't necessarily win. It doesn't necessarily turn out nice and pretty and choreographed where it's ugly it's mm. gritty it's nobody wins yeah. it's you know kind of like a maybe a, a, a gritty sad tragic drama would be the most realistic use of a firearm because again as we've seen in the media shootings don't work out well for anybody even okay. if you think you're on the right side it you're gonna get dragged i want to name drop one but i want to hear you say it first no go ahead i was gonna say reservoir dogs oh that's a perfect one yeah just bleeding out on the concrete and no one's happy about it. Because I, I, I think, I think, I think what Quentin Tarantino was doing there was everyone was used to seeing heist films and bank robberies where somebody gets away in a car, but no one ever hung around with the person who got shot. And I think that film more than any other shows the consequences of where the bullet lands rather than where the person's running away to. hundred percent agree. Yeah. I think, you know, if we watch too many movies and play too much Call of Duty, we kind of think that we're superhuman. So in the gun community, I think people need to have some realization that you're human and you're not going to be a hero mm -hmm. when it comes to this stuff. It's it's ugly, it's gritty, and you have to take it seriously. Cool. Well, on that note, Gary, I really appreciate you giving us the human side and the intelligence behind how to use uh, guns and firearms and particularly how they're being represented in film. Uh, could you tell us another realistic thing that's happening with your podcast and perhaps some episodes that are coming up and where we can find you on the internet? 
Yeah. So like I said, it's the internet movie firearms podcast. Um, I'm on Instagram internet or uh, movie firearms podcast. So movie firearms, plural podcast, no spacers, no special characters on Instagram or email me at movie firearms podcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm on all the major services. I haven't been pumping out episodes as much right now, just cause life is busy up here in Alaska. But, uh, yeah, if you want to listen to some more of my takes on some of this stuff, I do have my fireside chat episodes where I kind of talk about real things going on. Um, some serious and some not so serious. And uh, if you want to check out a movie on mine, I kind of am a fan of my Waterworld podcast the most, weirdly enough, it, just because that movie got panned so badly, I think mm-hmm. it gets a bad rap for the wrong reasons and i i kind of delve into like shooting underwater and weird technology things in that one so um so that, so that, if you want to check out my podcast i would say that's the best one maybe to start oh. with if you've seen the movie water do you, know, World. do you know the funny thing about it is that was made in the same year as heat in 1995 yeah oh yeah the 90s you know what a time to be alive <laughs> cool so gary thank you for being on our podcast and uh just giving us some insight for ourselves and king dom is that cool with you king dom that is very cool for me. That was really educational. Thanks for joining us, Gary. Okay. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's always fun to uh, talk with some good friends across the pond. So. Cool, cool, cool. So that brings us to the end of our Hot Topic episode. If you want to find out more about Geek Sweat and our future collaborations with other alternative podcasters, keep listening to our episodes throughout 2022 and we will invite you to hear the thoughts, expertise and ideas of different podcasters from around the world. Thank you for listening. Over and out.